welcome to Catching Foxes, a podcast at the intersection of culture and faith, where we favor discussion over instruction. This episode is brought to you by the fine folks over at CatholicMatch.com, so stay tuned and we'll tell you a little bit more about them later. This is episode number 22, The Church Needs More Andrews. Let's talk about evangelization, and specifically a great Matt Marr quote that I found on Twitter from, I think, like, Catholic Problems, or I don't know what, but whoever it is, to thank you. The church needs more Andrews. The church needs more Andrews. Does that mean just, like, more people named Andrew? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good deal. Or Let's wrap Drew. it up. Oh, well, or Drew. Thanks, guys. At the Luke V. <laughs> and I'm at Andrew at Andrew. That's, that's AT in the middle. Because the church needs more Andrews, so I figured that'd be my Twitter handle. No, what does that mean, Luke? Well, uh, so my church history is crap, even though I taught this I, I taught this class. Uh, <laughs> Andrew is the brother of St. Peter, who actually converted to Christ before Peter did, from what I understand. And so the, this it's this idea of we put a lot of effort into evangelizing strangers. But we don't put a lot of effort into evangelizing our own families. And I think we need to start thinking about that a lot more. What say you, lay evangelist? <laughs> oh, man. So, See what I did there? Yes, I did. Because you're the lay evangelist, and that's your name. And I only evangelize strangers. Oh, no, that's not what I meant at all, but it's true. Go on. No, it's really funny because I am – so in John chapter 1, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was the one who – Heard John and followed Jesus, and he found his own brother, Simon, and told him we found the Messiah, and then he brought him to Jesus, right? So that's that's where that comes from, that I uh, I come from, a, like, a Shiite Catholic family. Um, my parents are very devout Catholics, um, and I hate talking about my faith with them um, probably 50% of the time. Not because I hate talking about Jesus with my family. I love that. That's the 50% that I love. I love talking about Catholicism, cool things going on, people finding our Lord, praying with people, praying together. But I fully understand the atheist son or daughter who has super religious parents and they try to force their beliefs on their atheist kid. I totally understand that because my parents also like something that I hate. I'm walking on eggshells now. Yep. That I exactly I completely disagree with. And it is this mm-hmm. private revelation, Jesus Mary, all these people appeared to this woman in Italy. And there's all these like prayer groups that have started. The church hasn't made any pronouncements. The thing that drives me insane about this stuff is I disagree with the theology coming out of it, but I'm no brilliant theologian. Yes, I am. But I <laughs> uh, my mom will start talking about it to me and I will just glaze over. And wait for her to stop moving her mouth. Like, I don't listen. I can't do it anymore. I can't. So I know exactly what it's like when you have the atheist son who comes home from college and is forced to go to mass over Thanksgiving break with his parents. And he just doesn't want to do it. Now, the interesting thing is, for me, I have people in my family, not really my immediate family, because we all have faith to some degree. But there are people who aren't close to Christ, aren't close to the Catholic Church. And I am not afraid to start building those bridges. So my cousin is the son of an evangelical pastor. 
I don't. My parents were so poor. I never. When we moved away to when they moved to Oklahoma, that, which is where I was born, they all lived back in like Philly and Jersey and New York and all that stuff. So I don't know my cousins, aunts, uncles. I don't really know them that well. But now I know my cousin and his family. He's a little bit older than me, um, and he's super successful and awesome. So I constantly look. This is how I evangelize him in terms of Catholicism, not in terms of having a relationship with Jesus, because he already has that. I am always looking for ways to build bridges with people. Always. Always looking for ways to yeah, build bridges. I like that. When I talk with him, I emphasize all of the evangelical pastors that I that I listen to their sermons. I talk about the um, books that I'm reading that he, that would appeal to him. You know, we can always talk. When push comes to shove, we can always talk about C.S. Lewis. And I, I'll never forget one day I'm sitting there and I'm just explaining to him like my fire, my zeal, and my job. And we're eating Chinese food, and he stopped me and he goes, "Mike, I have to stop you." I have never heard a Roman Catholic talk like this. And I looked at him, and in my head, I'm like, I have a moment here with him. What can I say? And so the first thing that popped into my head was what I said to him, which is, then you've never read an encyclical from Pope John Paul or Pope Benedict. I said, this is the language of the church. And I said, the greatest tragedy in Catholicism today is that we are not evangelizing that we don't even know that that's the essential nature of the church to bring Christ to other people. And he looked at me and he was like, this is just crazy. So that's what I try to do, you know, honestly. And, you know, I I come at this from two perspectives. One, I messed up so badly in college with this because I went to Steubenville. I was hearing all this stuff that I was so excited about. And I was experiencing these profound crazy things and I just wanted to come home and be like listen to this great stuff and instead I was just a little bit overzealous you know be, yeah but not really in the sense of where I was like trying to preach although I think they would all say yes I was I was more upset with the differences I saw between myself and my um and my own family in terms of our uh, beliefs, which I think were honestly in the grand scheme of things minor, but profound at the same time. Yeah. And that was hard. I mean, it was honestly, it was gut wrenching at times and it was a disappointing and it bummed, it bummed me out. And it was, and so because it is your family, we tend to be really like, we're the worst to our own family because all civility for the most part goes out the window with people that you are very close with. And so a lot of times, because I didn't know really how to process that, because that's actually a really heavy, crazy thing to be like, I'm, I'm experiencing this, but it kind of contradicts what I'm experiencing here. I don't know how to handle this. And so it just would end in like arguments or me just being a dick. And um, Could you give me a for instance when you were a dick? I'm trying to um, – see, here's the thing. I didn't think that I was until – my mom and my sisters, who I love, I mean, like I love my sisters and my mom, and especially my mom. She, she doesn't say this stuff like lightly. And I, I remember just kind of after the fact, she was like, Luke, you could just be really arrogant about it. And I remember being like, oh, like she wouldn't tell me that if it wasn't true. She hardly ever speaks up about those, those kinds of things because she just is so oh, well, you know, like, that's fine, you know. And the fact that she told me that, like, meant, oh, that's, she's probably right. 
you know, then even though the things that I was either one angry about or two wanted to share with them, I, I really believe that for the most part, I was like, there were good things, but I didn't need to do it like that. I could have just enjoyed hanging out with my family and let it come out naturally. Cause I think a lot of the times and I'm, I'm really starting to understand what this means and what, what this looks like. I think building bridges is a part of that. We equate evangelizing to preaching. We hear shout off of the rooftops. I mean, even John Paul too uses a little of that, like stand on the street corner. And, and that's all great. That's all very Go important. out into the streets and public places like the first apostles. Exactly. And I think, uh, well, as a killer JP2 impression. Am I right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's, that is much better than mine, which always makes me feel so guilty. Um, <laughs> And, oh, I, I, I hate myself because it's so accurate. Um, so you're saying that evangelizing and preaching aren't the same thing but all the time, no, right? Like we tend I, to make evangelizing always preaching, and that's yeah, why we can like, come across as like arrogant. You're okay. So you're a great speaker. Like you're, you are really good at that. Fact. I'm pretty good at that when my speech impediment isn't getting in my way. And if I'm like in the zone, I'm not bad, and I'm aware of that. Like I can, you know, do a thing where – I can say emotional things, to get, you know, like like Adam's best man speech. You can say emotional things to get people to have an emotional response, and then you drop the mic and walk away and call it a conversion. Are you a youth minister? Oh, <laughs> am I? <laughs> now, I, I think that that stuff is good, like be, be, being able to express, uh, you know, being able to talk well and being able to give a good speech, a good talk. That's that's great, but because I, I, I think what John Paul II is, what he is talking about there. I think he means go out and do that. But, but I think he's also just saying, be bold, like share your faith. And we have to talk about it, but it doesn't mean we need to talk at people. And I think that's what I was doing. I was talking at them, not with them. I was so wanted to be right that I completely missed the person. And I missed out on just hanging out with him. I, I missed out on just, you know, uh, hanging out with Augustino or, or just having a good chat with my dad. Instead, it was always like, well, this blah, 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 you know, and, and I mean, I don't, again, I don't really remember any specific instances, any specific instances. What's wrong with me? What word am I trying to say here? Instances. It, instances. Yeah. Just that sounds odd when you like hear yourself, when you hear yourself. Well, we it. have been talking for the last four and a half hours and it's yeah, one o'clock where you are. So. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have someone special to thank. Luke, who are we thanking? We are thanking the fine, fine new sponsors of ours, CatholicMatch.com. Catholic Match is awesome. That is a place where you, as a single Catholic, can get connected with other Catholics in order to build community. Who knows? Start new relationships. Go out on dates. It's good fun. Uh, Luke, you've used Catholic Match before, right? As a lot of you guys know, I spent time out uh, in some pretty small, isolated places where it was really hard to find Catholic girls that I would be interested if they were even there at all. And so Catholic Match really provided me an an opportunity to date some amazing women. You're going to get from Catholic Match what other websites and online dating services can't get you because the word Catholic caters specifically to those who value their faith. They design their tools for Catholics who are interested in dating and marriage. This is about 
people who want to build honest communities. So how can you help us out and join Catholic Match? Well, we've got you guys set. You're going to see a link in our show notes, which is that information in the app that you are listening to this podcast on, or even in the description of the podcast. Click that link, and that's going to bring you to the website, and that's going to help us support our show. So please click on the link that's either in the show notes or it's on the website that you're hearing this great podcast on. Exactly, and you can find the show notes at www.layevangelist.com slash catching foxes now you can go to catholicmatch.com we want to drive as much traffic there as possible but the only way we get credit for it is if you click that link because it'll bring it back to us so we want to thank catholic match for sponsoring us absolutely thank you guys this is i think what happens to us we have a conversion experience uh, and that experience can be something like a lightning bolt radical life change and then the zeal that comes from oh my god i've been doing it this way wrongly for so long and all my friends who are still doing it that way you got to taste and see get over here and they're like settle down bro and you're like no 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 i'm not settling down you really need to do and so that's what that overzealous but there's another element to a conversion experience because what happens in a conversion experience is, is what was once black is now white what was once white is now black you morally and you have a moral conversion as well like you stop doing certain behaviors and start adopting other behaviors and then you encounter people who don't do what you now do or who do things that you used to do. And, right, so let's say you used to engage in a lot of premarital sex. And then you come into an environment where you know your, you know, whatever is, you know, in a, you know, relationship or whatnot. The thing is out of your, you know that that's wrong what they're doing. So we tend to think as human beings that we are going to argue them out of their wrongness, mm -hmm. um, that we're going to use truth as uh, – and I don't want to be – I don't want to say it like dismiss it this easily, but use truth as a baseball bat to beat people out of a bad life. But the problem is most people aren't on truth quests. They're on happiness quests, and we are talking straight past their desire for happiness because this sexual relationship or whatever it is doing drugs whatever is making them happy you know and however you want to define it is subjectively satisfying to them and they've convinced themselves that that's happiness you know pleasure is happiness whatever it is whatever it is uh careerism whatever um and that what we're doing is we're coming at them and just saying this is immoral this is immoral everything you're doing is wrong this is immoral and that doesn't win people over at all ever Right, positions of arrogance never win people over. In fact, Doctor Hahn, a guy you might know, he said uh, one day it shook me to my core, and I, and I have said this on the podcast, but I think it bears repeating: God opposes the proud, even when they're right. And often we care more about being right than we do about the person. Right. So mm -hmm. the JP two was always able to hold the person in this forefront. While we tend to make people – because it takes spiritual discipline to always see the person and not a project. And we tend to make people projects. Like I'm uncomfortable with your immoral behavior. Therefore, I'm going to try to out-argue you and get you away from your immoral behavior, right? So when it comes to our family, right, we can be brutally mean to them. But also something else happens with our family. Uh, we can be um, overwhelmingly eggshelly. 
<laughs> you know, we walk on eggshells and we purposely avoid the meaningful topics and conversations because you're going to be seeing them forever. And you don't want them to roll their eyes because you do love your family. You don't want every conversation to be hostile. You want to have, like you said, I missed out on those moments. Well, a lot of people will be quiet because they don't want to miss out on those other moments. So then you talk about, well, how do I balance it and all this stuff? Number one, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor in his own home, right? So you're, you, the, everywhere else, like when I travel, people are like, oh, my God, that was the most amazing talk. And then I come home and I say something similar, and my parents are like, are you kidding me? That's boring. Whatever. You know, because it's me. Mm-hmm. Dave Ramsey has a thing where he calls the diapered butt syndrome, right? If someone has ever diapered your butt, they're not going to take life advice from you. Right? <laughs> like, you're, you're not going to tell your parents something new. So the, the whole, like, kind of conflict with that is... It's just like a natural human relationship thing. But then you take it to that next step where you're sick of fighting. You're sick of arguing. You're sick of just all the stuff that kind of goes with it. But I tell people, this is what I, I, um, I gave a talk at Franciscan or at a Steubenville Youth Conference on evangelism. And the number one question that people came to me, they said, how do you evangelize your family? And I remember when I had a big conversion experience at my Steubenville Youth Conference and I went home I did this radical life change, and then I didn't support it with any sort of follow-up, so I kind of, like, burnt out, you know, when the emotions wore off. Mm-hmm. Um, but some great things were planted there, but I, you know, I was just an idiot. Um, but I, I know so many of my friends that have done this, they come home, and they're super judgmental, and they're super accusatory and preachy and all this stuff. And so when this That's per- exactly how I was. Right, right, right. And so when a person asked... What, what do I do? What do I need to do when I go home? This was my answer, and I stand by this answer right now as, like, the Holy Spirit spoke it to me. They said, what do I say to my parents when I go home? And I said, you walk in, and whenever they ask you how it was and you're about to unload on how amazing and God did this in your life and adoration and mass and blah, 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 I said, just get literally, if they're sitting down in a chair, get down on your knees and wrap them in your arms, give them a big old hug, and then apologize to them. Yeah. And the and the the room is totally silent. And I said, "Now listen, teenagers, you're teenagers. I know you're fighting with your parents now." And it was a, you know, ha 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 laugh. And I said, "Here's the deal. Even if you're 95% correct, you're still 5% wrong. Own up to it. Walk up to them and tell them you're sorry for being whatever, sorry for doing whatever, sorry for making them worry, you know, whatever. But be specific and apologize and ask for their forgiveness because you can argue against arrogance, but you can argue against humility. And if you really love someone, you're not going to try to be right. You're going to try to be in love. And that's where that whole happiness quest kicks in and overrides our tendency to turn it all into a truth quest. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I think when I think one of the things that happened with me was they saw my hypocrisy, but they never saw uh, the mercy that came along with that because I didn't share it. You know, I didn't come from a confession and being like, man, mom, I just realized I've been a jerk. I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry. Or, hey, Emily, I'm like, I don't need to argue with you about everything. I'm sorry. Or, hey, dad, sorry that we, you know, like it was always just like lots of arguing. Like, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying now. Like, I'm sorry for doing, you know, like, I'm sorry, you know, or also just like, being like, yeah, it was really good. Like, it was really, you know, like being, like being honest about what we struggle with. Like, 
could you imagine how powerful it could be if, you know, you have a high school kid who goes to a parent and he's like, dad, I need help. I'm struggling with porn. I don't want to do this. Like, could you imagine that? Now we don't have a lot of high school. I don't think we, I don't think we have a lot of people who are in high school who listen to our podcast. So we're, it's all young adults. What does that look like? Just love them where they are, you know, when they're going off about how, like, you know, they, I don't know. I don't know when, if, if you have a sibling who's going on about how their boyfriend just broke up, moved out of the apartment, that means that they were having sex. Just say, yeah, I know that that creates a really strong bond and that's really hard. And I am so sorry that you are going other than I will, I will be there for you. You know, because I think that's a big difference than being like, you need Jesus. You need to stop doing this stuff. Just be like, that's that's hard. Like, you have to acknowledge their own pain. One of the themes, I think, of what we haven't talked about for, honestly, a really long time is the importance of, of, of empathy. Yeah, I think the other thing is I can say, like, right now it's me talking into a microphone. I know I'm talking to you, and I know we're recording it, and we're going to edit it and post it for a whole swath of people, half of whom go to my church and tell me immediately when they listen to it. And then I get very scared. Um, but the <laughs> idea is it is easier to tell strangers the truth, especially when it's a, it is easier to tell strangers the truth, especially when you're on a stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can confront sin from 30 feet away. It's so much more difficult when that 30 feet away is their bedroom to your bedroom. Or, you know, oh, yeah. or you're, you're right there. Mm-hmm. Cause when I have teens that line up and they say, all right, you talked about God and suffering. And what about my brother who died of cancer when he was five? You talk in a totally different way than you do when you're on stage, but you find that a lot of people don't when it comes to their family. So one, I think the problem is with the evangelist, but the other problem is with the family dynamic itself is, uh, the best way to evangelize, and this is, this is the ultra secret, right? This is the secret to effective evangelization, is to be friends with people. That is literally the secret of evangelization. Mm-hmm. What Catholics and Christians do is over time, if they are not conscious about it, all of their friends are fellow parishioners. All of their friends share their same values, and they don't ever go outside their value sharing group everyone does this it doesn't just about christians right if you're an atheist you tend to gravitate towards those people right if you're you know a liberal christian you know mainline you know liberal denomination whatever you tend toward to gravitate towards that like it's not it's this is part of human nature that we want to surround ourselves with like and we want to reject the other that xenophobia that we have in, in every human heart but the thing about evangelization is the best thing you can ever do for a person is to give them Christ, but you can't do it except within the boundary of a friendship, right? So the best evangelization you can do is, okay, here's a perfectly good story or a good example. I read an article in this evangelical website about being a missional community and how do you evangelize. And the first thing was have a restaurant or a group of restaurants that you go to often. So there's a great place right over by my work called uh, Crust Pizza. It's a cool pizza place. They make awesome pizza. I love pizza, but they make a bunch of different stuff. So I every I make a point once a week I go there for lunch, take some people with me. So it's a running joke, like when everyone says, "Hey, let's all pick a day and have staff go out to lunch." Where are we going? Uh, Crustgomer. 
And I always say, yes, of course, cross. But I read this article and it talked about that. So I, I, I literally make a conscious decision to go there. Like if I want Chinese food, I don't get Chinese food. I go to Crust once a week, right? And a friend of mine, literally, my assistant, we're standing at the register. She looks over at me and she says, why, why do we always come here? Why, what's your deal with this place? And I tell her. And then we turn around and the cashier looked at us and goes, hey, don't you go to St. Anthony's? And I was like, yes, we do. And then she, she, my assistant, recognized him. And within one hour, that man and his uh, fiance were in my office, and she's going through RCIA right now. Because he recognized me for weeks coming into that place, and then she recognized him coming in, because they have a kid together, coming in for infant baptism, he was like, he felt comfortable enough to talk about this stuff with me. And then I had both of them in my office, uh, not even an hour later, talking in depth for the next hour about their lives and their relationship and all this stuff. I never would have had if I didn't intentionally do that, you know? When it comes yeah. to our family, it's a lot – you have a lot more emotional baggage to try to build a friendship with them, you know? Now that I'm an adult, right, like your sisters are amazing. I love hanging out with your sisters and your mom. It's a, such a delight. But it is more, you know, now that we're adults, it's easier to become friends with our siblings. But when you're, especially when you're in high school or in college, you can't even see that friendship thing, mm -hmm. you know, from a mile away. So that's, that's another reason why it just, it's another obstacle. They know, quote unquote, the real you. And when you change and have a conversion, oftentimes they don't even want to admit that that's what happened, right? Oh, you're still the same Luke that I've always known. You're still the same Gorm, you know, Gomer that I've always known, whatever. And so it's a lot. You have a history that you don't have with a stranger, right? So I can walk up to a stranger on the street and be like, do you have God in your life? And they can be like, settle down, freak. And, I'll be, <laughs> and then I give them a warm hug and a, and a rosary, and then we have a conversation about when was the last time they felt God's presence. And you can have this totally frank thing. If I were to walk up to my brother and be like, hey, when was the last thing? You know, put my hand on his shoulder and just give him a good little, good little rub right on the shoulder. And then say, hey, man, when was the last time you felt God's presence? He'd be like, what are you doing? Right <laughs> you know, so there's... Trying to eat breakfast. Michael. Michael. Jesus, God. Will Smith. I don't know. I think that makes sense, right? I mean, there's all these... Yeah, like... oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I like, one thing, too, is a forgive and forget, which can be really hard with family. Yeah. You know, it's just the ability and, you know, and like, honestly, in the way that you act too, I, I can remember there are times I was like, oh, what am I doing? I remember, I'm honestly, this was one of the biggest struggles of, of college and even like afterwards uh, for me, especially with my dad, because we really started to butt heads a lot and it was, which just was awful, but it's just the ability to go, uh, like, let it go, you know, like, which sounds, I don't want to go into that song, which I know is your favorite, um, just the ability to forgive yourself and go, listen, evangelization is messy. This is really, really messy. But more often than not, your family loves you. And they'll, if you show grace, they will as well, for the most part. Yeah, and the additional problem of judging their moral life um, and the obstacles in your heart that that brings up or the obstacles in your mind, in your heart, in your family dynamic that that brings up. The number one thing, the number one reason why we do that is this innate tendency of Christians who have been justified by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to then try to justify themselves by their moral life, right? 
It's like, I was horribly immoral, but then I met Jesus. Now I'm perfectly moral. And all you immoral people, you're all going to burn, right? And we have this implicit tendency. What ends up happening is we stop putting our faith in the saving work of Jesus and what Jesus is, is doing in my life. And we put it on our uh, our response to Jesus. We constantly have to hold this in check because then what we do is we apply this rigorous checklist to ourselves. And then we look at our neighbor and we're like, you don't even get like half of these boxes checked. And we do that to our sister. We do that to our brother. We do that to our parents. We do it to you know our children even if you're really, really old and listening to this. Um, we have this tendency. Indeed. <laughs> just kidding d you're fine you're fine please don't hate me you're fine hate but we have this thing that we put this moral checklist in our faith and say this is why i'm good and not because of what jesus did. and then we impose that on other people and say this is why you're not as good as me and we never do that explicitly but the reason why i'm able to just look at my nephew or my not my nephew my um, cousin is because he has number one. I I would love for him to become Catholic, but I know that he has a relationship with Christ and a valid baptism, and so my whole goal is I'm going to be patient with in this relationship, and I'm not going to turn him into a project. I'm going to love him for who he is, and that and all I want to do is build common ground with him. And yet, when we base it on our our moral superiority, the very first thing we do is dynamite common ground. Because we're saying I'm morally superior to you, right? Or I hold the correct doctrines compared to you. And I remember you telling me about your dad and you having all this fighting, and especially with like um, with Emily because she was older in high school, and how we used to drive in your little Geo Metro by her at a party and honk the horn and yell at her, and she would get so good times, great times. Um, But I remember how in that moment. You like I'm the theology major out of all of our friends, and so I'm sure. Like I always felt like it was going to be my words were going to be doubly regarded because you're like I just keep yelling at them and no one listens to me. So I always tried to steer clear of that stuff, mm-hmm. right? And, and did so in a dramatic way to the point where your grandfather and I were like BFFs every time <laughs> we came to town. <laughs> um, but mostly because I was clueless to what he was talking about because I'm an idiot. But you know, and all those things so that I have nothing but amazing memories of your family without any of that static because I purposely tried to avoid that stuff <laughs> because I knew from your conversations with me that you were constantly in that stuff. So I felt like, well, maybe I can be a little bit of a balance and also be a coward and also, you know, like there's all these no, like. But I, I, I think there's a point uh, to that being that. So I think a lot of people don't talk enough. We need to be okay learning how to talk about our faith to others and the importance yeah. of Christ. But we also need to know how to shut up. Yeah. And, and when uh, to not talk. And one of the things that I think was really hard and I'm going to chalk this up to being immature in my own, in my own faith, but we need to be like walking the walk with, in terms of our own relationship with God. And so I wasn't practicing a habitual life of a discipleship, which I think would have probably done way more for evangelization within my own, within my own family, as opposed to my a dramatic thing of, Oh, I didn't, I haven't prayed for like five days. Let me go and have an intense prayer thing where I just beg God to forgive me for all the dumb stuff I do. Like 
don't downplay the importance of just habits and a discipleship. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I can't tell you how many times I went without prayer for weeks, but studied theology every day. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I would check out at every mass I would go to, right? But I was studying and memorizing scripture academically. And the amazing thing is I go and I talk with people about Christ and how to have a relationship with him. At the same time, I was never talking to Christ, listening to him, or having a relationship with him. And it's, you know, and it's easy for guys like us. And let's just even compare it to when we were in college or before we were married. For the most part, we're hanging out and we are living with people who practice other the faith by and large. So it's easy to forget that like, whoa, this takes a, like, this is also about a relationship with a person and with a being. And so, and when you're just uh, surrounded by it all the time, it's very easy to forget that you have some responsibility. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. Evangelization, befriending people in the name of Jesus, just because you love them, not because they're a project. Luke, why don't you tell the good people where they can find you? You can find me at the Luke V on Twitter. Where can they find you? I'm giving up Twitter for Lent. Oh, you are? Wait for Lent. It's not even Lent yet. I know. So you can find me at Lay Evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> See what Listen, I did it's there? It's one thirty here. See what I did there? You can find us on Twitter at C Fox's Podcast. That's at the letter C Fox's Podcast. We are on the Facebook at facebook.com slash catching foxes. Podcast? Is that right? I forget. I'm drawing a blank for some reason. You can find our show notes at www.layevangelist.com slash catching foxes. And this episode is episode number 22. So it's catching foxes slash 22. Um, you also find it in your podcast app of choice. You just scroll down to find that picture or click the picture or scroll down from the picture. And you'll find all of our show notes where we have links. Um, we want to thank catholicmatch.com for sponsoring us again. Thank you, guys. This is this has of an awesome there's a lot more awesome stuff coming down to the pipeline oh, so yeah. thank you very hey, much hey what if your bane impression and my pope john paul the second impression had an impression fight are you ready for this <clears throat> well i was born in darkness <laughs> raised in it molded you simply adopted it when you were in the seminary my dear young bane See in you the love of the Father's only Son. Punch the keys. <laughs> you are not the sum of your weaknesses and failures and destruction of Gotham. We named the dog Indiana. Penitent man shall pass. The penitent man shall pass. The penitent man kneels before God. Kneels before God. Wait, I thought you were doing it with me. I know. I just wanted you to look like an idiot. Thank you.